What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Dapper Villains Podcast. I'm Dana Blue, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jay Such. Dave, Jay, what's going on, brother? I'm very good, brother. How are you doing, man? I heard uh, you uh, have had some injuries. Yes, I was, I've been a little sick. How are you so feeling now? Guys, we didn't have an episode last week. One, because Jay, we were supposed to do it on Friday, but Jay was busy playing video games and getting drunk at his shop. And so then I couldn't do it Saturday, <laughs> Sunday, or Monday because I, I had a really bad air infection. I couldn't hear. I couldn't talk. So I was out of commission. So we apologize for not having an episode last week. And before we get into who our guest today is, though, do not forget to subscribe to the Dapper Villains podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get podcasts, we are there. Also, Where check out there? our YouTube channel. We always put our videos of the podcast up on there. And then maybe someday, hopefully, we'll get some other content for you up there. But, Jay, today we have a really interesting guest. This is a guy you know from Pitti and you've stayed in touch with him. He's our first yes. Aussie we're talking to on the show. Absolutely. And so we'll have some uh, bad words for sure. Yeah, uh, he, he, uh, <laughs> he tells me you're a cunt. Is that correct? <laughs> and so Samuel Diamond, he's a tailor based in Melbourne, and he runs a, a made-to-measure suiting business, but he also designs a lot of the suits that he does sell to his clients. Mm. So I am excited to to talk to him. Let's bring him right in. So Sam, man, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Dapper Villains podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So if you could do me a favor and just uh, you know tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, about Samuel Diamond, uh, tailoring, and what you do. Yeah, um, so thank you for having me on. My name is Sam Diamond, and I have a made-to-measure tailoring business here in Melbourne, Australia. So um, I've been running that now for three years, and I have a little studio. Uh, you know, in the in the CBD area in Melbourne, yeah. and I guess um, you know, beyond that, um, I was actually a corporate litigation lawyer for a while before sort of transferring uh, over to pursue my passion for menswear. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had a pretty big career change, a couple of big career changes, but. Uh, 34 years old and uh yeah that's that's a little bit of an intro does that give you some uh, it's, a, it's a lot to talk about and i want to talk about that career uh -huh. change because that's something oh. i can really relate to i was a, a telecom engineer for a decade i was actually working on a phd in uh, information communications yeah. technology after that career uh, assuming that i would go on to like further research and sort of I guess got sort of poisoned with this this menswear or like garment design bug and left it all, started my own design studio, I guess. Was it sort of like the same thing with your corporate law career where you just sort of ground down by the the, the machine as I was? Yes. And uh, it definitely um, took, you know, realizing that um, there are, other people out there who are into menswear who aren't gay, you know, because you think like in Australia, it's a very masculine place. Yeah. All the guys who are into clothing are gay. And it's fashion 
far as I like to say, style has always sort of been in Australia associated as a feminine thing. And, um, you know, I went on a holiday to Italy just to, you know, just to check out the sites and the food and everything like that. And uh, I just happened to go to Milan and I looked at the way these guys were dressing there and I went, whoa, like this is not feminine at all. These guys are super confident, mm. super um, calculated with the, with, with the little details which they pick. And uh, I sort of got into it like that. It wasn't like, oh, one or two of my friends, you know, had a menswear shop and then we all started to get it. It was something that I went down that path on my own. My friends weren't really with me on that, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's probably seeing that sort of way that men were dressing in, in Italy that inspired me to sort of get more interested in that before later, you know, starting a business in the industry. Now, from the point that you got like interested in Italy and that until the point where you made the jump into starting your own tailor shop, what was that time frame and what happened in the middle? Very good question. Um, you know, as I came back from Italy, like I was telling you then, I came back to Melbourne and I was just obsessed with menswear. I started buying you know, just GQ magazines and, and Esquire magazines and Italian and British GQ magazines. And I was like obsessed with reading the rules on men's room, what was happening and trying to improve my own style. And there was a lot of trial and error there, Dana, you know, some probably questionable outfits, which I wouldn't wear now. But um, uh, that was the sort of period where um, I worked family business that my dad was running and it was going pretty well but I was sort of quite sure that it was a bit of a um it wasn't my main passion mm. as this as I was working with dad um a guy who I went to high school with he studied fashion he knew how to sew he knew how to teach you know he knew how to pattern make and all that stuff uh he approached me and said um listen, I've, I've, I've got a major measure brand. Would you like to, you know, do a suit or two at cost price? And if it works out well, as I was doing some Instagramming at that point in time, I guess he wanted some, uh, you know, content made and, and, and had his brand promoted. Mm. I said, sweet. And uh, we did a couple of suits. And I realized throughout that process that um, he was quite good at it and, you know, measuring and picking the style and the fabrics and all that. But as well, I also thought, well, it's not exactly a rocket science, you know, like you can design a pretty cool suit if you have pretty good um, sort of brain for menswear. So, you know, after doing it with him for a little while, I just felt like he didn't have this, there was this other side of it. It's not just about the fitting and the fabrics and the, and, and the garments. It's about the conversation, the whiskey, the experience, mm. the um advice and i felt like while he was very good at the other stuff and had technically trained in all that uh he didn't have any skills in the uh you know making the client feel good making them feel a luxury experience and that, that they're valued and it was just sort of in and out you know not give them any drink or whatever I thought, yeah. uh, this guy could really add a lot of value here uh in a way that won't cost a lot of money by you know, giving them good advice, giving them a drink when they come in, making them feel 
uh, welcome in a space and sit down and stuff, rather than sort of a traveling tailor who'll go take your measurements, give you a suit and then fuck off, never see you again, probably. Mm. This is a, sort of different. And I decided to split off from him and uh, yeah, launch my own brand. Nice. So what, what was that breakup like? Did it go smooth or was there a little bit of uh, drama, if you will? Um, it was pretty smooth, to be honest. It was pretty smooth. You know, I wasn't really making clothes with him for a very long time. We maybe did a couple of handful of weddings mm. of, of friends and things like that who were getting married. And, um, you know, I sort of said to him, I want to go 50 50, let's join this business, let's get it started. And he kept sort of saying, oh, you know, my. My my fiance's father, my fiance's father is 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 sick and he's and he's dying. Let's just give it a few more months and then and then there was something else and then something else and something else and I basically realised it's stringing me along. Mm. And I said to him, "Listen, appreciate everything you've taught me. Appreciate you, but I want my own brand, my own name, the way I want to do it. So yeah, I'm going to start my own." And he said to me, "You know, I'm not surprised." I think that he knew that that was probably gonna happen because I kept saying things to him like, Oh, so when you take like the next measurement, are you gonna cut you know, and trying to get advice from him yeah. <laughs> before before I would uh you know eventually use that to, to use myself. So So you were yeah, it was pretty smooth for, though, for quite say. a while. Yeah, I was I was, yeah, because I was thinking about, you know, it'd be really a lot easier in a partnership mm. to run a business like that. And maybe it, it probably still would be. Uh, if you have the right partner. Mm. So this wasn't an extremely close friend of mine for years and years. This was a guy who I went to school with, didn't talk to for 10 years, and then he popped up on my Instagram 10 years later. So I wasn't really uh, losing any sleep over it or anything. Yeah. You talked about sort of the culture in Australia as being like really masculine, and and that often is what Uh comes across. You don't think of... Australians and sort of finer menswear you think of like uh you know beach shorts like polo shirt maybe you know tank top you know can of beer in one hand tripping the barbie on the other you know mm-hmm. this is typical that's true yeah yeah that's true um you know we we had a very good culture of um menswear in Australia that sort of um probably disappeared a little bit around the 1960s, 70s, when guys started to um, not wear suiting as much. You know, people would wear, and it's the same in the United States and England and most of the Western world. Everybody would have only one or two outfits and one of them was probably a suit and the other would be workwear. Mm. And when you weren't wearing your workwear, you would wear your suit. And as things changed in Australia, um, we had to build the city as it grew for a growing population and the construction industry and industries like that uh, have been dominant in masculinity um, versus like, you know, a culture of guys in suits like in New York or London um, where it's like, you know, banking and insurance and all of that. We still have that. Those guys generally don't wear italian made you know suits from naples italy Mm. the average person cannot afford that that's you know something which i know is awesome and i know it's really really nice to have but the average australian doesn't want to spend two thousand dollars on a business suit 
Uh, however, he will spend that or a little bit less than that on a wedding suit. So that's like, a, it's a funny little market because I see these guys come in when, when they're engaged and they're about to get married and they're interested in their suit and their clothing. And then after the wedding, that's it, you know? So it sort of sucks, but it's a, it's a lot like that everywhere, I think, you know? You um, guys are sort of in a a climate where it, it's it's not quite tropical. You have four seasons, but your winters aren't super crazy, right? Well, where I live in Melbourne is sort of like San Francisco weather. So it can be pretty brutally cold in the winter, but it's not like snowing or anything. Yeah. And in the summer, it can be quite hot as well and dry. Um, whereas, you know, if you go further north in Australia, it's very, um, it's a lot hotter. The weather's very uh, humid and that does come into play with it. I mean, I run quite hot, which means I get hot and sweaty very quickly and very easily. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so I know having your full canvas, uh, you know, thicker woolen suits on a summer's day in Australia is completely uncomfortable to have. So, um, it's a big thing that impacts it, much like in Italy, in England, you know, it, a lot of it, the, the way we dress has to do with the climate. So mm. there's a lot of, um, you know, linen and cotton and stuff like that that, that gets worn here. Yes, yeah, so I, I live in Bangkok. Obviously, it's hot and humid all year. There's like maybe two days of like temperature below the 30s, uh, 30 Celsius, you know, so it's definitely a warmer climate and and for me it's the same thing i'm not wearing like fully canvas tweed suits any ever mm-hmm. right and you can't um, yeah you can't you know jay my uh, my co-host he will very often wear like a um like a, a, a double-breasted like wool suit anytime and you know that's mm-hmm. you know that's his style but i find that a bit too hot yeah, I, I find it even, I, I even find it in Italy, you know, if you go there during summer, during Piki, there's so much concrete and, um, and, and everything that that sun just radiates off. And I find these guys over there wearing, you know, a three-piece suit or even a two-piece suit, unstructured, unlined, uh, I just honestly don't know how they do it. <laughs> I really don't know how they wear suits over there in Italy in the summer um, because it's extremely uncomfortable. For me to do it over there, you know, but, uh, you know, for them, they just look like they're not even breaking a sweat, you know. It's like, yeah. it's nothing. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, that, that hot weather, you know, some people, I, I see ties sometimes, wearing like a wool jacket with jeans like a hundred and like it's like 40 degrees out 44 degrees out no problem not breaking a sweat if i'm wearing anything with long sleeves and long pants and i'm pouring mm. sweat all over the place same yeah same me too exactly and, and that's why i um i do go for a lot of linens and uh, i've been doing you know unstructured unlined jackets as well which so people are sort of you know more comfortable going about their day in that suit because ultimately, mm. you know, it can look cool and everything on the mannequin. You could put up good photos on Instagram, but ultimately this person has to wear it and yep. feel comfortable in it. 
and whether that's wearing like high waist pants that they think looks cool, but then they go and sit down after a big meal and they can, and they can barely feel comfortable. Um, you know, you got to think about all this stuff, I suppose. Yeah, I find linen to be. I, of course, everyone knows linen is a, a tropical fabric, but but I really find that to be the the optimal fabric for for warm weather and i go with i i never wear a jacket anymore but what i'll do is i'll, I'll wear a waistcoat so no, I'll, I... I'll elevate whatever i'm wearing with, with a waistcoat even like most yep. of the time i wear shorts because I, I work in my studio all day cutting fabric sewing you know working okay. on design so it's like shorts a t-shirt and suspenders or shorts a button up and suspenders but if I have to go out or if I have to go do something, I'll just elevate that same outfit with a like a linen waistcoat, throw that on, and I can go out to meetings. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a nice way to do it, especially in the sort of places like uh, Thailand where it's tropical. It's going to be yeah, very difficult to wear a jacket. I think they're... Yeah, I think maybe Australia is not quite shorts, shorts and waistcoat ready, but slacks and waistcoat can definitely <laughs> go, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's a thing at the moment where a lot of guys wear, um, you know, double pleated sort of shorts. Mm. If you get what I mean, with yep. the waistband that's quite thick. And I like I that Gurkha style. Like, yes, yes, exactly. But I really don't like the look of uh, a tucked-in shirt with shorts. Mm. It's a very dad look to me. You know, you know, dad's here to come pick up the kids from soccer. Like, yeah. why would you tuck? <laughs> it's just coming from a very, again, this is coming from a very Australian perspective. So the whole idea of shorts is that it's sort of like a more relaxed feel, isn't it? That you could just, you know, walk around and go down to the beach. I just don't like, personally, you yeah. know, just, you're welcome to disagree with me. But, um, yeah, I personally think it's a, it's a stupid look to tuck your shorts in. No, well, since shirt, since I always wear suspenders, I almost always have my shirt tucked in. So I'll, I'll disagree okay. with you on that point. But like, okay. I can see what you mean. If I were just wearing like like sp casual like uh, like sports shorts, say like uh, athletic yeah. wear, and I had a shirt tucked yeah. into it, it would feel a bit goofy to me. But I also my shorts are generally yeah. higher waisted, and like I said, I wear suspenders, so it would be kind of weird to untuck my shirt with suspenders. Sure. Yeah, I hear you on that. I hear you. And I mean, for you, if it's that like. If you like suspenders as a cool accessory, yeah. then yeah, it's a good opportunity to show it off. Yeah. And, you know, tuck in, like I said, for me, it's way better than a belt anyway. I used to do side cinches on my pants, mm. but, you know, I kind of yep. found that suspenders just give you that, that bit more freedom. They do. And do you get ones that have the elastic in them or are they sort of like sort of more stiff with the elastic only at the back? Um, the back part. So mine have elastic everywhere, so it's, yeah, adds a little bit more. They're the better ones. Yeah, I like those ones better. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. They won't last as long, obviously, as the uh, the, the stiffer ones. But like, it just mm -hmm. if you're wearing them every day, like you need the the fabric to kind of move with you and sort of match to your have body. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, and look who decides to join us, Jay Such Dave, showing up late. <laughs> What's going on, Jay? <laughs> the attack before I joined must have been incredible. I, I missed that part, but... Uh, you know, we are having was a good conversation, of, and you show up and ruin it. Was it a lot of jabs, or was it just a bunch of um, 
lightweight jabs. Oh no, like, no jabs, and you know, we're just going straight. It was like power punches. Straight. Power punches. <laughs> we were just calling you a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> this this was the, the first time anybody has ever said cunt on our, our on our show. Is it good? It, it good. might be. Yes, yes, because he's Aussie. That's why I wanted to have him on the show because it will uh, create a different class for the show. Uh, an right. Australian iconoclast, if you will. Yeah, I want to piss the feminist off, but also because he's Aussie, so then nobody can say anything. So before you joined, like, we, we talked a whole bunch about fabric, so at least we got that out of the way, and uh, we don't have to have you chiming in and uh, about fabric. Oh, I can't throw in advertisements. Show. No, no advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about like the uh, you know the style that sort of matches the Australian climate, and you know that that sort of unstructured kind of unlined material is much more in line with with the the climate and the temper in at least melbourne right mm. yeah definitely definitely but you're seeing it slowly because the english influence in australia is you know it's probably greater to the italian influence i'm talking more about the men's suiting you know in, mm. in terms of the culture and the food and everything there's probably no bigger influence than England and Italy. Mm. So when that translates to the men's there, it's, uh, it's probably still a little more English. It's rare that you would see a businessman who has like a suit that's fully unlined or something like that. Mm. Um, but they're, they're getting there, they're learning and they're figuring out, you know, myself included, um, you know, what are the more comfortable things to wear here? Because it is sometimes very hot. Yeah, you know, when you think about you know, what a businessman wears there on a daily basis. And like you said, it's kind of figuring out the, the menswear scene sort of coming into its own in Australia. Now, how casual are businessmen generally? Because I, I know a few people in the startup space in Australia, and they're generally wearing shorts and flip-flops to their office. Mm. Sure, yeah. That's definitely true for the, um, excuse me, startup um, space, you know, you don't see Mark Zuckerberg wearing a double-breasted uh, suit to to, to uh, Facebook on a Monday. No. You see him in a hoodie. You see mm. Steve Jobs in a, uh, I believe, a turtleneck, uh, right. usually when he was around. So that's sort of like the tech, the whole thing, like the tech industry, the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, the startups in Australia that are doing it. They, they sort of follow that. Like, I don't have to dress up in a suit. So I won't, you know, I don't work at a bank and, or a law firm. Therefore I will, I will wear my hoodie and fuck you. There's a little, there's a lot of that, I believe yeah. in the tech industry because they don't like to follow the tradition. And, um, you know, where we're, we're sort of the guys who do wear suits to work in Melbourne, uh, it's becoming much less of a formal workplace. So where they used to have a tie and a suit and be clean shaven, now it might be the the the, the suit just with no tie, you know, un, unless you're meeting some clients. Mm. So it's changing a lot. And I think about this stuff a lot because I have a business which sells suits. What am I going to do if people stop wearing suits to work? Mm. You know? Um, what did you wear when you were a lawyer? What, what was your daily uniform, if you will? <laughs> I had a, a really good question. 
<laughs> I didn't have any made-to-measure or bespoke things, that's for sure. I had a, a really nice Paul Smith suit that I wore. I had uh, this Versace collection suit, which was probably a terrible suit, but at the time I thought it was so cool. You know, it had skinny lapels. It had, uh, that was the look. You wore you know, Versace the, to work every day? This is, <laughs> it's Versace collection, so I think it's like a, it's a toned back version of it. You know mm. what I mean? It's less um, rapper, yeah, it's less rapper yeah. version of Versace? Yeah, yeah. But you know, the, the pants had a real low rise on them. You remember all suits back then sort of sat just oh, above yeah. their hips. And you yeah. know, the lapels are skinny. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite funny to look back on those days and go, wow, yeah, you know, my style has changed. And style, men's fashion style has also changed. Um, but I definitely learned that um, you dress for the job that you want not the job you have. So if you are going into a law firm and plan on becoming a partner, you should dress how the partner's dress immediately from day one. And that doesn't mean go and buy, um, you know, stupid expensive stuff. It's just the style, you know, are they wearing a tie? Okay, you should wear a tie. Are they wearing brown shoes or black shoes? Black, okay, you should probably wear black. You know what I mean? Um, and I found that sort of helps with the, with the, uh, you know, trying to figure out well, what what should I wear here, um, was to sort of look around you a bit. But you know, generally looking around Australia, you're not you're not looking around and seeing anyone wearing fucking Luca Rubinacci or yeah, but what inspired Armor you to or fucking ties? Yeah, exactly. What inspired you to change from that low waist, uh, skinny lapel? Yeah. What just made you do that to to become more sartorial? Yeah, I was saying to Dana just before, it was probably a trip to Had Italy. Had you been here at the beginning, Jay, you would have heard <laughs> this answer. Yeah. So I was go, going to Italy and seeing, as you've seen, the, the guys in Milan and Florence, you know, having little uh, errors or mistakes in their styling on purpose. I thought, wow, mm. that's cool, isn't it? It's so mm. cool that they have one bit of the tie longer than the other when your whole life growing up wearing a tie to school. That, you know, you've been taught the opposite. Um, and I thought little things like that were cool. And Instagram accelerated my interest in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after coming back from Italy, I was like, oh, this is cool. And uh, that's where it sort of started. I started to refine that like and refine that pace. Mm. Because reading your GQ magazines or whatever, it's only, it's only so much you can really learn. Uh, because they have such commer commercial interest. Yeah. Um, the three the three best looks of the year aren't necessarily the three best looks of the year that they think it's who's yeah. paying them. You know. Yeah. Mm. yeah so yeah. Instagram for me was that opportunity to to look at these guys in Italy and Sweden. Man, the guys there in Japan, yeah. and and just sort of follow who you want to, and uh, copy the parts that you like the best. Like Bradley Cooper is not a Spritzatura guy. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is not a Spritzatura guy. Why, but those why are you the guys lying to people? Be... GQ obviously <laughs> said they're the best dressed people in Hollywood. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's interesting. It, you talked you know, about the, the tie, right? The two different lengths of tie. And like, I've seen like some people pull that off where like the back of the tie is longer. It looks really good. 
But then, yeah. like, I see people. What what Instagram also lets you see is people who, who do that same thing every single day with every single outfit, and it starts to feel really, really worn and like not quite as special. Whereas, like, someone when they That's pull it off exactly. at the right time with the right tie with the right outfit, it, it looks bang on. That's right. You know, the idea is that you did, that it's sort of natural. That it's um, of course it's not. Yeah. But the idea is that, you know, you loosely did your tie going out the door, bang, 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 one shorter than the other, who gives a fuck? And that, who gives a fuck? That is where the coolness lies in that mistake. Mm. But you're right, when, when it becomes so, um, such a habit, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's where it becomes, you're doing it to just uh, have something different. But as well, I don't, I don't uh, think that's a negative thing because, you know, whether you do that for the day, the month or the year or forever, like um, Agnelli or, or people like that that used to wear their watch over the shirt, mm. um, that was legit. You know what I mean? That was legit. Yeah. Some kid on Instagram wants to do it. Yeah, he's copying it. But in doing that, if he copies a few things that uh, from here, from there, from whatever, that's how you create your own style. Yeah. You know? No, no, I don't and disagree with copying it. It's fine. It's like, but I'm just saying, like, if someone does that one thing every single day, and no matter yeah. what the ensemble might be, I find that to be a bit repetitive, is all. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. A lot yeah, of that. Just like we want to have versatility uh, in our vocabulary, we want to have sort of versatility in our style vocabulary as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. You know, um, I think people need that versatility too. Mm. You know, it's, if you see a guy like, um, if you see, uh, who's the guy, Jay, from um, Baca, Baca Neapolis? Nicola, yeah, Nicola, Nicola, Nicola Rodano. Nicola Rodano. Okay, if you, if you see him wearing the tie like that, right? It, it would know be that cool it's instantly. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool, right? Like he wears, he wears like really high waisted trousers and put the ties, uh, put the bottom part of the tie inside the trouser, uh, yeah. to c cover it. And, uh, it, it's cool. It's cool. But it's cool when he does it. Uh, it's not cool yeah. when my fat ass do it. And, uh, Dana, Dana, Dana can be cool. So it's, it's, it's all right. But, uh, <laughs> you can't be cooler than cool. That's the problem. Jay. <laughs> right. But I don't think, I think it's, I think that it's like, I don't know, just to give the Australian perspective on things, like I, I would do that as well some, from time to time, not all the time, but, you know, from time to time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people would be like, what's, what's wrong with your tie? It's the wrong <laughs> length. Or, or they'll be like, you forget your socks today. You know, they're not like, they're not, they're not across that, that this is an intentional thing just yet. You know yeah. what I'm saying? There's so few of right? you in Australia, like stylish guys. There, there's you, there's Palma, there's Zima. Uh, like there's so few. And uh, do, do you see the movement coming up where there will be a lot more sartorial community over there? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's 100% true. And another thing we have to thank Instagram for, to be honest, mm. um, because there, there is no pity in Australia. There is no big menswear trade show where you can meet these people who are, you know, considered uh, world experts. So 
you know, we, we tend to sort of go over there and get the ideas and bring back the better ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, now you don't even really have to go over there, I don't think. Like you can pretty much just look on online what's happening. Men's fashion doesn't move that quickly that something that's in the year before is going to be totally out the next year. Mm. It's, I think, like more three to five year sort of cycle. For example, um, like the ugly sneakers, you know, there's Balenciagas that looks like a mm. fucking robot just vomited and yeah. created this shoe. Like it was cool. Mm. Like there's a $2,000 shoe. Yeah. Now it's uh, sort of come and gone. Yeah, there's a few people still wear them. Ultimately, it's $2,000 for a fad that has come and gone. Yeah. Whereas I see like suiting and classic menswear watches and things like that. They don't, like really, that's why I don't call it fashion, I call it style. Um, does it just move on so quickly? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I fully agree. And you know, talking about, like, it's funny, you were saying like from a style perspective, right? It is the things that people latch on to. And like you were saying with the, the guy in Italy, if he wore his tie like that, it would be fat style instantly, right? People or it would be fashion instantly. Everyone would want to do it. However, though, you know, I noticed no one's trying to copy Trump's mid thigh tie length. I don't know why. Jay, Jay does that occasionally, but you know, I, <laughs> I'm a I hardcore. I don't see fan. that more often. I'm trying to inject COVID into myself. I'm trying to fuck bats now so that I can get COVID, like Trump, well, like you my hero. Maga hat. Maga hat. Mary Maga hat to pity. JJ has one. <laughs> Dude, that would be that would be uh, f- photographed for sure. Like I'd with the, be with the with the tucked in red tie. And yeah. Suit, so you can be yeah. Trump yeah. 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 Dude, let's dress like Trump to pity Umo. <laughs> Jay will wear the funny my thing suit. is you probably end up you probably end up on GQ's best dress you know? dude I was walking with one guy in Piriumo uh, a Chinese guy and he was so he was smoking cigarettes all the time he was like you know really loud and um, like you know mainland and uh, and and he wore the most ridiculous GQ glasses and he like everything was Gucci sorry Gucci glasses Everything was Gucci, but I was so like, I was mocking him the whole day. And uh, everywhere I walked with him, everybody was like, because uh, um, like the real super sartorial guys, I go and say hello. And uh, he's like mm. la- la- making fun of this guy. And mm. the next day he gets featured on GQ's worst dressed in Piri Umo. <laughs> but he gets worst featured next, next to David Beckham, next to fucking everybody else. His photo is on there as the worst dressed on the most peacock or something like that, like something bad, but he took it so positively and, and it should be taken positively because everybody's trying to peacock, get photographed and shit, but this guy did it. Yeah. By looking the worst, by looking cheesiest. Yeah. I don't know what they're looking for there at at city sometimes, to be honest, it can be some, some pretty whack sort of streetwear stuff you know and uh they love it they love it well we had natty adams on he was talking about he went to pity and he wore i think a ramon shirt under his jacket and uh like no one cared everyone was like oh you scrub he said like two years later waco wore the same exact uh ramon shirt and everyone was like oh my god that's so amazing right exactly yeah exactly you almost get overwhelmed there to be honest especially by these these like little gaggles of like five Japanese guys walking around together 
very preppy dress and yeah it makes me feel like an amateur because you go there and you go whoa like <laughs> these guys are very like uh very stylish you know very you gotta roll in with your australian swag well i try my best man i try but these you guys know who are... i go like whoa to in pity like when i meet like really really hot girls because it's such a big sausage fest that like there's it's like the testosterone level of like um uh beta males is so high over there <laughs> like everybody's trying to act like <laughs> like they're alpha because right when you walk in even though you're a dark uh nobody when people start photographing you and you're some kind of famous on instagram you all of a sudden become like a different character and when you right. walk out nobody knows you again but inside mm. they're yep. like oh hey you you i know you from instagram and shit right so um it's pretty cool though hey when people do it that, is very you know, cool I always remember Daria came up to me one day and she goes, oh, she's so uh, the late Daria, rest in peace. Yeah. Rest and in peace. she goes, Sam, how are you doing? I thought, what the? I couldn't believe it that I'm on the other side of the world. Mm. Someone's come up and knows who I am. I love the yeah. outfit. Can I get a photo? And you go, whoa. And then chat. And, and, and you meet, you know, people who become friends. Yeah. It's, it is so cool, isn't it? That you don't really yeah. know each other, but you go, oh, Sam or Jay. And, like you know each other you know yeah yeah it's yeah. a beautiful place and um a lot let's of, talk about pity a, a little bit then yeah i was just gonna ask do you guys yeah, think sure. pity humor will be the same post-covid as it was pre oh, or will it sure. become more of like a hybrid right? type event like we were talking with um with matt from austin like about the the changing of the event management space right and trade shows and everything they are very worried now mm -hmm. about not just protecting revenue stream, but protecting their, their clients and their guests. So do you think, I mean, pity will find a way to sort of merge into a virtual or mixed venue type thing, or will they just be hard headed and pity is pity. We'll just do it next year. I think obviously there's going to be challenges given the travel restrictions and so many people flying from around the world. Um, you know, I think there's over 35,000 people on the first day usually go through the gates. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly, but I feel like at least half of them are from uh, international visitors and are not from Italy. And uh, an even greater number, uh, you know, uh, from the, the nearby places like Sweden and the countries nearby like England. But mm. people like myself who have gone from the other side of the planet and Jay mm. as well, um, to go there regularly. You can't sort of, um, I can't envisage going back to pity uh, for the next two years, uh, mm. if, if, if at all in the next five, to be honest. Yeah, and on top of Personally, it, it was but, hit super hard. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, and think... you know, the other thing, which is it's probably worth mentioning as well, is like the brands at pity, which are the brands at pity that, you know, paid thirty thousand dollars for a little stall there or whatever in the main hall. Is that brand going to exist next year? Are they going to be bankrupt? Are they going to have customers who are willing to spend a thousand dollars to buy a pair of shoes next year? That's the interesting question. You know, I hope they are. I really hope they are. But you know, I a think, lot. I think it'll be. be I think it will be good for pity. Like it'll be people who are more serious will then go there. Hmm. 
you know yeah. like it'll be it'll be a more serious event like because pity became a bit of a joke uh as well uh with all the peacocking and people going in just to be photographed and stuff and uh, it is in at at the core a trade show where people go yeah. and buy the next season's accessories and things like that mm. and uh i think it could be good if it's harder if it's more scanned it's like where like like how it used to be um not just anybody can go in like in new york you have to have like a supplier confirm supplier who's exhibiting confirm that you're an actual buyer for you to be able to go in and your minimum purchase has to be some kind of dollars and stuff like that. Um, maybe pity will be, will be that way, which is also, it will take away the fun where, you know, people like Daria meeting you, that scenario of, of wonderful connection might go away. Mm. Uh, what's mm. the fun of going to an event if you're going to meet the people you have already met, you know, yeah. like most people right. I've, I've connected in pity Umo have now become friends and I've, like I meet them there, but then I go and go to their country and go and meet them mm. second time, third time, fourth time, Absolutely. right? Just Absolutely. like Kama, just like yourself, you know, like if I was in Australia, of course, I'm going to call you. Whereas before this, I wouldn't know anybody in Melbourne. Exactly. And, uh, and, and that's also a wonderful thing, but I think that will eventually come back no matter what because people are lonely and uh, it's tough i mean italy showed that they don't have the the infrastructure to deal with with outbreaks you know we saw what happened in northern italy um you know it was horrible and then they had issues even past that as far as dealing with the pandemic and and the spread of it so i'm I'm not saying that's everywhere that will be forever but i think that's going to be in the back of people's minds italy was really the first european country to have like hard issues and they were the first ones mm-hmm. to shut their borders down. I mean, they took all the right steps and it still spread. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to cause some issues. I think they're going to be cautious to allow big events like pity that are going to bring yeah. international travelers from all over the world, you know, to, you know, even poorly dressed Chinese guys, chain smoking cigarettes who end up on GQ, <laughs> you know, they might be like, Hey, you know, we should, we should find a, a new way to address this audience. And, and pity, you know, I'm hoping that what they'll do is find a some type of hybrid solution or something that allows them to keep their value and keep engaging new audience. Right. I agree with you. I think get something online. Look, it depends what pity is for you. For me, initially, I went to pity because I started a made-to-measure brand and I wanted to connect with uh, accessories companies. So I wanted to sell handmade hand-sewn three-fold untipped Italian silk ties mm. and I kept emailing people online you know hey yeah 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 you know how much your tie oh this is the minimum order but it was so difficult to not do it face to face and go this is me this is who I am let's sit and have a coffee or a meal mm. and let's do a deal I want to buy some of your you know good stuff and if not, there's another 10 other people I can go talk yeah, to exactly. and I'll do the same too <laughs> and, and, and as that sort of happened i connected with luigi cordon do you know cordon their brand on the rake and they're considered to be one of the best shirt makers in the world Mm. connected with him initially i I bought some silk ties off him connected with him next next uh about six months later i got them to uh uh, do the manufacturing of my premium bespoke shirt so if some if someone comes in and they want a five steps by hand balakamicha shoulders and all that Mm. Well, Cordon makes it, 
and they put the Samuel Diamond label on it and send it to me in Australia. So all through pity, they're going there, meeting people, going to the uh, drinks, the Plaza Uomo drinks, the, 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 if you can, and I've snuck in every time there, I've never been invited. Um, <laughs> nice. But um, that's sort of what it's been. Meeting Jay, my, my manufacturer in China wasn't making suits at the start of the year because of coronavirus. So through meeting Jay, I met MCC, the uh, custom clothing manufacturer from Thailand. Boom. Mm. They, they helped me through a very difficult period at the start of the year. It's all through going to pity, making those connections, mm. and then what you do with them. Now, the second part, which you touched on as well, Jay, is the social media. Mm. And I definitely um, went there to, because it helps with social media. And if you, um, if you, if you sort of successful... Um, in portraying an image um, internationally, it can help you in Australia as well. So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, people local will trust if you make it outside, and then local will respect you more. Hmm. Right, exactly. They go, why the fuck should I take your advice on whether I go for a patch pocket or a jetted pocket? And, well, I've been to Italy four times uh, in the last two years. Uh, you know, that's my qualification. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't say Spala Kamisha wrong like the guy next door because you have actually heard the word many times instead of just pretending. Right. And like and there's also, a yeah, big difference between... or easy to get to Italy from Australia. It's pretty big, much expensive to go anywhere. Yeah, but there's it a big difference between yeah. like looking at an Italian suit from photo and send it to China to copy, then actually feeling it, wearing it, having been through making right. one, mm. uh, right. and then getting it copied in China. <laughs> That's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they can never copy it as well. That's the thing. Because these a lot of these tailoring um, techniques are so, um, are so um, specialized. You know, yeah. you can't mm. get the roll of that, you know, the button down collar where it has that beautiful roll like that. Mm. No matter how much you try and get the Chinese, to do it, they never do it as well as the Italians. Yeah. Um, Cause they're going in and doing it, you know, a lot of hand sewing rather than machine. And it's, I think, um, yeah, a lot There's of also some trade secret techniques that they've passed on, you know, mm. that they've not told other people, you know, uh, and that's how they, a lot of their techniques have stayed true where it doesn't you know travel and it just stays there in that place where which town specializes in doing what it stays there mm-hmm. that's right yeah i think in italy too particularly with the bespoke tailors there a lot of it's handed down through father son type yeah. relationships as well yeah. where the, yeah, the, the kids taught how to make bespoke jacketing and, and trousers from the age of five to the age of uh, 10 15 by the time he's by the time he's 17, he's a master tailor who's been doing it for you know almost 15 years. Mm. By the time he's 20, he is a master tailor. Now, someone like me, he's 34 years old, who tries to go and learn tailoring now, there's mm. no point because mm. I can hire people who can do that themselves. Yeah. And manufacturing is such a cost in Australia um, versus around the world that it's simply not worth me learning to do that it's worth connecting with people who know how to do that and using them. You talked about like the, and JJ was talking about this, like certain techniques and things like that, that are 
are just hard to replicate at mass. Uh, I was having a conversation the other day with someone about pleated sleeves, the way Italians do pleated sleeves on their on their shirts to add volume and to, to make it more more of a spacious sleeve. And the techniques that they use in, in Naples specifically to make the, these pleated sleeves just have never really been duplicated at mass. You know, and you think about it, mm. it it's such a, it, it's a simple concept in theory, but in practice, like very, very difficult to replicate. Like if you ever try to do like an actual pleated sleeve the same way they do and, and get the fullness, but still get the shape, it, it's it, not something that you can just recreate like on the fly. Mm, mm. And, and it takes, I think, because you, they, they're cutting the whole of the sleeve mm. uh, smaller than the actual sleeve itself and having yeah. all that left over, I think it has to be hand sewed in. And yeah. I don't know if machine can do it that well. So it would just be very time consuming to do that on mass. But yeah. you do notice in women's wear that that, that is done on mass. Um, almost every women's shirt or blouse or whatever has the... the uh, the the roping on the shoulders yeah um but for men i, I just don't think i think well us three and maybe a lot of men's guys see that and go oh i see that that's cool a lot of other guys will go why do you have that like what's the point it's like <laughs> they don't they don't yeah. get it and they don't want it yeah you know? so it's like a bit of a niche type thing it's definitely or a niche, niche it's definitely niche to the the market it's just Oh, yeah, it's a technique. And I think when you see it on women's shirts, it's more of a machined pleat. It's not as, as sure. subtle yeah, yeah. as it is on Naples-made jackets. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's less of a, it's, uh, it's more of a wave than a pleat. Yeah, like it's exactly. Not they like call it pleated, a fabric on top of each other. When it's done yeah. right and they're so small and so intricate and soft and, and voluminous, yeah. it's really unique. Yeah, it's nice. And actually they do it. So Cordon does it on all their hand-sewn shirts. Uh, the machine-made the machine made ones, don't, they don't have that at all. Mm -hmm. But they also do it here on the wrist where it mm. connects to the cuff. So they have the pleatings here. And nice. it's just another detail that, again, most people would never notice. But when you do see it, you go, oh, that's so cool. Like, yeah. yeah so how do you subtle. market that in Australia? That's a very good question as well. Like the, the, the little details you mean that they, that they yeah. we can offer. Um, you know, I used to sort of put up pictures on Instagram and be like, you know, patch pocket with Spalaka meets your shoulders and this blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, you know, people don't really care. They can look at it and <laughs> see what they want. And then the guys who are into menswear will see that that is a patch pocket or they'll, mm -hmm. they'll notice that shoulder. So, um, you know, I'll occasionally mention things like that and in posts or whatever that I'll put up. Yeah, but um, how good, how, how big is that audience that, that knows that? Like, the people who read Simon Crompton and read The Rake and stuff, how, how, do you know a lot of those guys as your clients? Yeah, some of my clients, yeah, some of them, yeah, yep. Mm. Um, it's something that you just sort of have to talk through to them as well because people generally don't come to me to buy a shirt. They come to buy a suit. And the shirt is like the, the upsell type thing, if I'm honest mm. with you. Mm. Rarely would someone come in and they're like, I want a cordon made shirt and that's it. Like, it would be usually like their wedding and you'd be like, look, we can do these shirts for this price or these ones, which is pretty much double that price. Mm. But mm. here's why it's more. And then I'll explain to them. Um, 
So that's sort of how it's done at the moment. Like, like selling to somebody who doesn't really get it could be challenging. Like, um, in my suit shop, yeah, sure. uh, like one of my, two of my partners are very stylish guys. And, uh, like, uh, we had a wedding group that wanted to, he said, dude, whatever you're dressed is super fly. Let, let, let's copy that. Whatever suit you're wearing. And he was wearing a three roll too. The clients did not understand three roll two. It just looked fly on that guy. So they were making fun of that three that we made a three button suit for them. And uh, they wore that three button wrong, of course. They wore all, all three buttons. And uh, they were getting made fun, fun of by their dads, their whole family and friends and shit that, oh, you're wearing a 1960s style suit. You're like, that's ugly, blah, okay. blah, blah. Yeah. They, they didn't understand it. They just wanted to get what the person who was cool was wearing the clothier that's was right. wearing that's, and that's uh, sometimes it could be well, very challenging especially if you're selling to wedding groups and stuff mm. like and you didn't explain it well enough that this is how you wear it you know that's exactly right you know there has been a couple of occasions where um i've gone through the options and i've said now for the trousers you want flat front single pleat or double pleat and they've gone, oh, what do you recommend? And I'll sort of stand up and I'll have a very nice suit on and I might have usually double pleated. And I say, look, these pleats here, um, it's mostly an aesthetic thing to show a nice little bit of detail. However, it gives you a bit more extra fabric around your seat when you, when you sit down and stand up, you know? And then they'll be like, okay, cool, done, pleats. And then they'll get the suit and they'll be like, oh, I don't like these pleats. And I go, <laughs> cool, you fixed it, you know? Yeah, and they go, no, yeah, I can't fix really it. Puffy. And they go, yeah, but it's really puffy around here. And I go, you know, I, I did warn you, you know. Um, you can, you can. Uh, did you tell them you're, you're, you're a lawyer, so don't fuck with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, you, you, you're right. You really have to take, take the extra time and sort of warn people like, yes, this works well on this guy. He's a tall, slim, you know, gentleman with a dark complexion. It doesn't mean it's going to work on you. Mm. Absolutely. And not all rich people know the sartorial style. In fact, very few rich people know. Just because you have money doesn't mean you like um look at just like uh they could be guys that buy Xenia suits and still don't understand the Spala Kamisha. There's so many of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely rich Chinese clients. I mean Mm. they're very uh big consumers in the luxury space in Australia. Mm. But they love brands. They want Gucci, Xenia, maybe more. It's more sort of Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Um, that, right, uh, that they want brands. Yes, yeah, exactly. And with the label showing. Yes. So um, up front, everywhere, as many labels as possible. Exactly. Yeah, I think somebody who worked in the luxury space was saying to me, um, people who would. I hope this doesn't get. To, determined to be racist or generalizing too much but people from an Asian background and a Middle Eastern background who are very very wealthy are the flashiest with their money Mm. you know like rich people from England and stuff are like subtly flashy with it you know they'll have like Mm. a nice car or whatever but they won't have a Lamborghini you know whereas like someone who's rich from like the Middle East or China will have a Lamborghini or like, like, like 600 Lamborghini very in your face. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, or like a gold, like a matte one or a gold one or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. I you only know? have a camel. I don't have a <laughs> okay, okay, I'm one okay. of those subtle guys. Subtle one Middle my, Eastern guys. One of my good friends from Australia, actually, he lives up in Gold Coast. He's a professor up there. Yeah. Uh, he's very into to dressing well, into, into menswear. But he, he often will, will message and he feels like so out of place because the average guy at his university who's a professor or an administrator wears an off-the-rack button-up shirt with a pair of jeans and some type of sneaker most days. And you know, mm-hmm. he likes to wear you know, mix and match his suits, he likes, you know, his sport coats, his waistcoats and uh you know like really nice shoes and he said most days he'll go into the university and he'll just feel so out of place and people he he often gets the like oh what are you trying to get a promotion or, or why are you dress so nice okay. you go to a wedding after work well what's going on and yeah he so, feels very self-conscious about that and he says it's very much like you were talking before about the masculine culture of australia he feels very much the same way yeah it's true and they think why are you trying so hard yeah and that's the question that the italians answer with why would you not try hard exactly you know what i'm saying like why why would you not make an effort whereas it seems like oh you're making an effort why like that's correct yeah someone said to him once well why do you have a why do you have why do you need a suit that's not blue (laughs) <laughs> and he had bought this like this really beautiful like uh beige but almost pink suit and he has a very dark skin tone and it looks fantastic and people are just like oh it's kind of gay <laughs> yeah they definitely say that they definitely <laughs> say that here um it's becoming less and less so like that now thank you to instagram and you know the yeah. younger generation as i'm coming through um but you do have a generation that's sort of still stuck in this everything slim uh everything's overfitted sort of five ten years ago type of look yeah yeah they're like they don't think a suit is tailored unless they're sort of like sticking to your calves and like yeah jay only wears ultra skinny pants with four percent lycra so they they just stretch around his body <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can you could probably do that as well, but um, yeah, they just it is it is definitely a, a masculine culture. Yeah, but um, you know, as I was saying to you before, it seems like there's nothing more masculine to me than a guy who's confident, and mm. uh, if that's in the way he dresses, Absolutely. it's something that is different. I think that you know Australian people now are going, I respect that. Whoa, yeah. you're putting yourself out there. That's cool. I like that. Uh, one really bit like at a time, man. right? Yeah. That's right, yeah. You've got to crawl That's the first walk. time since I've known you that you said something super smart. Thank well, you. We're about to give you 10 more chances <laughs> to say smart things. We have these 10 <laughs> questions that we throw at every, every guest as they, as, when they come on, just to kind of get a baseline, you know, at some point in the sure. show. So I'd like to run through these with you, Sam. And the first one, Please do. Uh, it deals with fabric. And that, that, that fabric question is a mandate from Jay because he feels everything has to be about fabric. But <laughs> if you can only use one fabric for the rest of your days, linen, wool, or cotton, which one would you choose and why? Three beautiful textiles right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I probably would have to say wool. Well, uh, 
just because there's a saying in Australia that Australia was built on the sheep's back mm. uh, in the in, in the 18, uh, I think it was 1850s, a guy called MacArthur started selectively breeding Merino sheep, mm-hmm. which originally came from South Africa, which originally came from Spain. And uh, they started to breed, breed the ones with the finest wool. And uh, Australia produces 80% of the world's Merino wool, which is in most of the suits that are spun by, you know, Huddersfield, Laura Piana, Xenia, VBC, et cetera, et cetera. Most of that all comes from Australia. Mm. So I have to say wool. Um, you know, the other, the other, you know, it's, it, it, it self-regulates the temperature. Um, it, it breathes. It uh, doesn't crease quite as much as linen does, although I love that about linen. Mm. Um, and uh, I think it's probably the most versatile, mm. I would have to say. And especially, you know, given the weather in Australia, I think that, you know, maybe you could say linen or cotton. Mm. Um, but at the same time, where I live in Melbourne, it gets cold. And linen's shit house in the winter. And cotton's not that amazing either. Mm-hmm. So I probably have to say wool. Yeah, the good old fashioned Not wool. just any wool, but merino wool. Yeah, Australian merino wool. That's right. Wool mark wool. That's right. Nice. Put a stamp on it. Done. So, do you have right, a favorite yeah. menswear item? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I have. Um, I actually used to have a really receding hairline, and I got a hair transplant done in Turkey. Uh, two and a half, three years ago. But I used to always worry about my hair. And I have a Stetson hat, which is a, it's called the Temple. And it's, I believe it's either beaver or rabbit felt Mm. made in the USA. And it's just a brown hat, which I got it um, on Fifth Avenue in New York at the JJ Hat Center. Nice. Which is the oldest, uh, the oldest uh, hat shop in The very famous hat shop. Yeah, yeah. And the sort of place that you go where there's a steam coming out and, you know, these guys are dressed with suspenders and these really cool African-American guys with glasses. And um, it was just, yeah, like I said, part of the experience, it's part of the memory. I got a Borsalino hat in Italy a while ago. That's a special one for me as well. But there's something about that sets and that's number one. As a bald guy, I can definitely relate. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. It was just something that um, I used to always look in the mirror and feel um, like uh, depressed about it and stuff. Mm. And um, yeah, I got an Uber one day and, and it was a Turkish guy and I said, you know, I, I hear that Turkey is the place to go to get a hair transplant, to get a grafting done. It's what's called grafting. Mm. And he said, yes, it is. And in fact, I had it done myself. And I looked at this guy's hair and I went, whoa. That was a good job. I'm yeah. gonna go there. Six months later, I went. So yeah. Oh, nice. Definitely. You can tell when I go like that. You can tell there's like a quite a, a defined line there. Yeah. But if you push the hair forward, it's, you don't even notice. So um, you know, the hat used to be glued to my head, but now it's there. Seldom. Yeah, I can't seldom, go outside without a hat. I'll get a sunburn on my head. So Jay, on yeah, the other hand, yeah. is a, the full sea cat of hair. Like he's, Jay he's has never a proceeding hairline. 
yeah. See, it, it would be bad though for like a Sikh to get bald, like because like we're hairy everywhere, <laughs> and then like to have like a patch, which is what I'm worried about all the time too. Like <laughs> Jay's like, hairline actually connects all the way down to his ankles. <laughs> no Don't breaks worry, in skin. I'm, I'm, don't worry, mate. I'm half Jewish. We've got a similar thing happening here. So it's a curse. What can you do? The next question is one of our favorites. And being a manly man country like Australia, you guys have, you know, you have cowboys, a lot of miners and construction workers out there. So I'm sure you see this. But, it, it, you know, the way, like, especially you dress for workwear, like the way people put it together. And sometimes they try to translate it into a more everyday look. Do you think it's ever okay for a guy to wear denim on denim on denim on denim? Like we're talking not just jeans, but we're talking the jeans, right? The the denim shirt, mm. the denim jacket, a denim hat, carrying a denim bag. Yeah. Like is it ever okay to go to that extreme? Uh, I don't think it's ever okay, dude. I, I hate to say that, you know, there's any hard and fast rules about this stuff. For me personally, I think double denim is okay provided that the two shades of denim are different enough. Mm. Um, it's sort of when it's that same tone of denim on the jacket as the, yeah. as the trousers, that it's sort of an issue. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind double denim. I have been known to roll triple denim <laughs> on an occasion. I don't think that I would again with a denim jacket, a denim shirt and denim jeans. Um, I'm a big fan of denim, but I think double's okay. Triple is probably starting to push it. And if you yeah. do it, make sure that the tones are different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a tonal thing or a textural thing even. Like you can get different textures, right. denim, different levels of fade. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, that's one that surprises us. A lot of guys who like Jay and I will talk before each episode and like a lot of guys who are like, no way, no way. And they'll be like all for it. And the other guys will like, oh yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll be all about it. And they're like, can't do it not gonna happen yeah no i'm a fan i mean the i think the initial canadian tuxedo came from a a guy in america who wore a um double-breasted suit a really dark sort of almost like my jeans if you can see them a dark denim like this yeah in a uh a two-piece tuxedo and he had white contrast i think satin on the lapel and uh white buttons so it was like a really rude look but apparently uh, that was the, uh, he was some sort of celebrity in Hollywood or something, I think, at the time. We're going back at oh. least 70 years. That's why the Canadian tux was, is called that. It was actually, uh, yes, done in uh, bespoke um, tuxedo using denim. Nice. But, That's interesting. Yeah, bold, bold and a rude look, no doubt about that. Now, I know we talked earlier uh, on the show before Jay graced us with his presence. Uh, about the influence of uh, style in, in not just style, but culture in Australia from, you know, England, Italy, and the, these different things. And for you personally, though, when you think about the type of tailoring that you like to wear, right, that what you want to put on, you know, do you, do you think about the, the British style of tailoring, Italian, maybe an American style? Uh, yeah, another, another very good question. And, um, I probably wouldn't say it's, it, it's definitely one or the other. It's a little bit of a combination of those because, um, what 
is an Italian style? Is it a, an Armani suit or is it a Rubenacci suit? You know, yeah. what, what is an English style? Because they're so different, like Edward Sexton compared to like, I don't know, Poole or, or, or whatever. They, they all have their little intricacies. Um, I like the attitude of the, the, the Italian style probably just a little bit more. But I do like the regimented, structured, stiff nature of, of the English stuff too. Mm. And only in England can you wear those sort of fabrics, you know, like you were saying. You can't wear a tweed three-piece in Thailand Absolutely not. when it's 35 degrees, you know? No. So that lends itself to, to, to those sort of silhouettes of like a really clean drape with that heavy fabric. Yep. But they just, I feel like, can, can get away with in Italy, can get away with in America, but sort of is best done in England. And then American tailoring is something I feel has been really overlooked and left out of the conversation all too much. Um, Thank you, my Australian brother. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think of um, The Great Gatsby. Um, Obviously, it was a book by Scott Fitzgerald, but the the first film with Robert Redford, Mm. those suits are crazy. Um, I always loved Boardwalk Empire and movies silver screen where the tailoring has been impeccable and I'm sure a lot of that must have been done in America um so so yeah a bit of all three to be honest but I like the Italian the best probably. nice do you feel like there's a a sort of an Australian tailoring style developing on the island there yes uh you know probably pioneered uh, by several made-to-measure operators who started in the last 10 years. Yeah. There's been, um, you know, like uh, the brand Drake. Yeah. That sort of image of like a, you know, um, a linen suit or a really unstructured cotton suit mm. with like a, um, a, a sweater tied over the shoulders or whatever. Mm. That's starting to become a bit of an Australian look on Instagram. I don't know how many people actually wear that shit in the real world, but, um, you know, and, and why would you wear, need a sweater over your shoulders in, when you're wearing Instagram's not the anyway? real world? <laughs> Wait a minute. How dare you? How dare you? Um, so it's starting to become that, that, that sort of casual look. I would say that Drake, P. Johnson, you know, a lot of chinos mixing it up mm. with the preppiness. It's, it's starting to get there, but really we're just, we're sort of like um, the United States. You take a bit from Italy, a bit from England, mm. a bit of our own, and mix it in together. Nice. Yeah, that, that's what you know. That's how you build an yeah. aesthetic over time. Great right? answers, man. You've, you've been saying a lot of smart things now. No, no pressure, but but it's you've been nailing it on the head. <laughs> oh, thanks, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Try my best. I'll give it to you. Sheep on you have seven more. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a exactly. favorite accessory? <laughs> Uh, favorite accessories. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I really did like my hat, but probably my watch. I, I like my watch a lot. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge watch guy. Like I have a really nice watch and I don't plan on getting any more. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it was a 21st birthday present. Um, and um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'd love to have a, a, a collection like Alexander Craft, but my bank account is never going to allow that. Yeah. Um, 
So probably, yeah, my watch. I've got 21st present, uh, a Rolex uh, date just perpetual. It's, it was secondhand, or as menswear people like to say, is vintage. Vintage. 1989. <laughs> mm. 1989. I think nice. the Hong Kong <laughs> went if, it, if it's past 15 years, then it's considered vintage, according to okay. uh, menswear people. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's that. So that there's was that when one. you were 21 and now you're at 35. So, so you've, uh, you, that's still your favorite watch and uh, you don't plan to get any more. No, no, not unless I win the lottery or, or, or have an incredible year or something like that. I just yeah. like a watch is like one of those things that if you have one good one, you don't need to. It's like a car. Absolutely. You can have, a, you can have two, but you don't really need to, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you can have a shit one and a really good one, or you could just wear the really good one all the time and look after it. What color is that watch? The diamond. Uh, I'll show you. It's uh, gold and silver with uh, some diamonds on the frame. Oh, nice. Very nice. Roman. Classic looking. Yeah, and it just goes with casual wear, formal wear, suiting. And it just, you know what I mean? It just sort of works. It doesn't, it's not in your face. Yeah. It's not like a really like, I'm rich, look at me statement. But if you notice it and you're a watch guy, you will notice it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, with now, a lot people of people never notice, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah, a lot of people go, go to the watch there for the favorite accessory. And, and that often beckons the question, you know, how on point do you think a man's watch game should be? Is it something that they should focus on or is it something, you know, that, that you feel should be in, in sort of in the background? It's a very good question. I probably, I don't think it's that important. Um, I don't think it's that important. Just like I don't think it's important that somebody wears a suit that's handmade in Naples. Mm. I don't really care where it's made. I care about the people who are making it and that they're treated mm. well. But at the same time, I'm not going to say it must be a Swiss made watch. Otherwise, you're a fucking idiot. Like to me, like um, it's nice to have a good watch. It's, it, it, it's a beautiful thing if you're given one, if you're lucky enough, or if you buy one in your life, you save up enough money. It's like an achievement to a lot of people. Like I have clients who have bought their Rolexes and they work at a call center, but they have a Rolex perpetual. And they've saved up and they put that money away and they finally waited and waited and then they got it. I think to them, like if it, like to them, it's like a, um, took a long time and it and it, it represents achievement yeah um and i wouldn't say you know oh, that's a terrible thing you know what a waste of money um i think it's a great use of money but if you can afford it you know we're all from different economic backgrounds and uh it's not it's definitely not the be all and end all because i know so many people but they would never be able to afford a, a rolex or an omega or, or you know something really really nice Mm. Um, so that's why I hesitate to say it's like an essential thing. There is a nice little mid ground. I think the, the Seiko, uh, Japanese watches Seiko, are like um, grand, really good value. Yeah. yeah. So if you wanted to, um, occasionally clients ask me about watches because they go, oh, I'm thinking of getting a watch for my wedding. What do you think I should get? Sort of thing. And then I have to ask my watch friends, oh, what this is his budget, like. Because it, it, it is really an area of its own. Hmm. Um, but more often than not, that if it's a thousand dollars that their budget is, um, yeah, the, my, my friends who are in the watch industry, 
they always say, yeah, the Seiko, the, the Seiko, uh, the Grand Seiko is the best value for money. So yeah, a lot, a lot of maybe my, one day I'll get one. A lot of my friends who are really into the whole horology scene, they're, they they all love the Grand Seiko. They say it's like a, yeah, it's probably like the most value for a watch you're gonna get at that price point. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Even like the Seiko so, fives that are like a hundred dollars. A lot of my friends who are like real watch people, are like it's actually a great watch. Yeah, they are. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be. Um, yeah, they're they're supposed to be excellent. So so we'll see. But you know, the, the answer is no. I don't think it's a it's a thing that you must have. I think it helps and it's cool if you have one. Yeah. Good accessory. When someone asks me for the time, I look at my phone. <laughs> this is more just jewelry to me, you know? Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Is there a style icon that you look up to? Um, there's several who I really like. And, um, you know, I, I really like... Um, the Duke of Windsor, mm. he was cool, even though he abdicated from the monarchy and everything. He just had a lot of stuff. And he hung out with Hitler and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Again, coming from a half-Jewish guy right here, and I'm saying <laughs> that's fine. Um, but again, you know, Hugo Boss, you know, made beautiful um, uniforms for them. That's not who I'm mm. going to say my inspiration is either. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of my inspiration comes from cinema mm-hmm. and um, I love watching, you know, um, James Bond films and, and things like that and looking at their suits. And yeah, there was one time I remember watching um, The Man with the Golden Gun with Roger Moore. Yeah. And I noticed he had this light gray suit. And then as he was like, you know, going on moving around the movie, I saw oh, he only had one button here on the top. I thought that's cool. And then I noticed that he had really long vents on the back of the jacket. They were about that long. I thought, oh, that's cool. And then I noticed he had, uh, you know, that his pockets on that jacket were coming in on an angle. They were slanted, these, these really slanted, these mm. flat pockets. I thought, that's cool. And on my next suit, I did all those three things. And so that's where I'm sort of, uh, what I'm saying is that, you know, I'll take a lot of ideas and inspiration from cinema. Specifically, nice. uh, you know, stuff like James Bond and, and, and old things. So but how not, cool uh, was it not that alone. for you when you built that suit? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was cool. But it was definitely a different fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. The other thing that I really liked in that particular suit that he had was actually the shirt. He had um, the cocktail cuff. Do you know when a shirt cuff is sort of like a French cuff and then it folds back? But yeah. instead of folding back and then having a cufflink go through it, it folded back and buttoned down. And oh. it just poked out enough through the shirt that you would notice that. Right. And I thought that. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's little things like that um, that you pick out and go, oh, that's cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that idea. Yeah. But we're going to change the fabric. We're going to change the, you know, and you use it. So, yeah, probably the answer is cinema. Nice. Now, how formal do you think a guy should be on a daily basis? You know, should he dress to the nines every single day or, or is there, there's some play like in your opinion, like what, what would you like to see gentlemen doing dress wise on the daily? Uh, I don't think that they should be very dressed up on a daily basis. Really? No, no. Yeah. It so depends bungee on smugglers and thongs. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, 
on the hot summer's day of the beach, perhaps. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think that you should be right. Right now, we're in lockdown at the moment in Melbourne. We're in one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. We can only leave our house for two hours a day to go to the supermarket and to exercise. And it's highlighted for me um, how important comfort is. You know, I've, I really am wanting to put on my suit and I'm excited to dress up again. Mm. But while I'm around my house and just chilling around here, it's uh, completely... Um, inappropriate to wear right you yeah know, like it's cool for me to wear a suit or whatever but i, I you don't want to get spill your coffee on on your best huddersfield cloth suit that you've got there do you you know because you're just at home cooking and whatever mm-hmm. so for me you know the suits and the dressing up is a special occasion type thing and it's for work for me too mm-hmm. um but also when when you want to make a um a statement um or you attend a wedding or event or something like that. But for a day-to-day, everyday sort of thing, dressing up might be, you have some nice jewelry on, you wear a ring, a ring and a bracelet. Mm. You might have a plain white t-shirt and jeans, but the dressing up is the accessories and the um, the little things that add. Mm. So yeah, I think, yeah, but it, it depends on your calendar, what you have on that day and everything like that. Oh, great. That's it's interesting because, you know, for me, I try to elevate, you know, just a little bit every day. Even like I said, if I'm just wearing a, a t-shirt and I'll throw the neckerchief on, you know, like I said, for Jay, he wears a double breasted tweed suit every day. So, you know, <laughs> not much he's going to elevate. If I, if I know that he's got something special, if I see him in his tux. To the strip clubs, I do. Yeah, he wears the, he wears the, <laughs> the tux to the strip clubs. Now he's going to get his girlfriend, so he only goes to the bougie strip clubs with the, the, the white girls. Okay. <laughs> All the Russian-owned strip clubs in Pattaya. Dude, it was getting, he was answering so good, and we just had to destroy it with my trashiness. What's going on here? You're all right, man. You're all right. Keep it it's all right. It's all right, Jay. It's not like, who, who was it? Was it Carl Morosky where we, we wouldn't stop talking about two hookers and a burrito? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you know, the next one, we talk about like the formality of it. When you go out, when you go to work, tie or not to tie? For you. Tie. Tie? Tie. Yeah, you're a tie guy. What's one of the not? best pieces of advice when I was working as a lawyer was by one of my friends who just completed his graduate year at an accounting firm. And he said, Sam, if you're ever hung over at work, here's the trick, wear a tie. And yeah. sometimes there's a 26, 27 year old junior lawyer, you go out, you have your drinks or a wine or whatever. And the next day you go to work hung over. If you put that tie on, people think you're organized, you're put together, you're well planned out mm. and that you've got things generally under control. Now, Very when nice. I'm working these days doing made to measure tailoring, mm. if I have a nice tie on, um, it just makes me look complete and the whole suit and shirt and, and the whole look, um, look a little bit more elevated. Yeah. So, you know, especially if it's a nice cordon or a spacker tie or something like that, I just think it adds so much to the outfit. Hmm. Um, 
I know a lot of guys feel choked by a tie. They feel like it's a, a noose or whatever. Just sort of, they begrudgingly wear against their will because they have to to an important meeting or something. Uh, that's not the way that I look at ties. So, um, yeah, definitely tie. What's your knot of choice? Uh, it's a uh, Prince Albert is what it's called. Yeah, Prince Albert. So it's tie. a yeah, Prince Albert it's knot. Same name as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The piercing down under, you might say. Um, but it's uh basically the same as a Windsor, except you go over twice, it gives it a bit more thickness. Oh. And makes it sort of a bit longer rather than fatter. Okay. Um yeah. Again, similar to the piercing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, our last one in the set of 10 is, and you talked about your inspiration from cinema, which movie character uh, has their style game just unlock? Oh, you know, um, Matthew McConaughey's character from The Gentleman. Oh. Have you seen the film The Gentleman? Not yet. I missed it in cinemas. I'm meaning to see it. It's it's just gone. I don't know if you have Amazon Prime or whatever, but it's just gone up on that. but man, that character, and he's a good looking motherfucker too. Yeah. That's why yeah. he pulls it off so well. Okay. But he has so many like, uh, you know, uh, long sleeve polo shirts with his, with his suits, yeah. window pane suits and three piece tweed suits with the hat. And um, he's got so many cool uh, outfits in that movie. It, it's, it's almost, um, He's called the gentleman, you know, yeah. so it has to be almost over the top. Nice. Um, that that character has it. If I was to name one more, probably yeah. That I like. I really, really like um, Nucky Thompson from Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. His outfits are always fucked up good. Um, you know, he'll have like the, the lavender light coloured shirt with the white contrast collar and cuffs, and then it's sort of like playing off that lavender pink red tone you'll have that sort of um brown overcoat with the mink fur around it, the the collar and then just a, a like a, a fresh red flower here or whatever nice and a and a uh and a boater hat like it was just so over the top back in the 20s and the 30s mm. uh i think everywhere but definitely in america that that character was very on point very very and it was a display of wealth too, all all your clothing back then, you know. Nice, yeah. A lot of people bring up Boardwalk Empire as just being like one of those sort of iconic style shows that is out there, and it really is. Everything's super tight. Yeah, that and you know, there's plenty of. I think the other ones, the, the Great Gatsby, the more recent one, yeah, with Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, he's yeah, wearing he a, He's wearing like this pink linen mm. suit in that this dress yeah. you know that thing? and it's, it's like, like straight why would you ever buy that suit like that yeah. these days you know well, why not so bold i love it absolutely so what else here so with your on lockdown i didn't realize melbourne was still on lockdown so what are you doing yeah. uh tailor wise nothing i can't literally can't work at the moment i'm not allowed to work um so at the moment, um, the lockdown, like I said, you can only leave your house for two hours a day. It's being called the strictest lockdown in the world. 
we were having a really bad uh, second wave of the COVID. Mm. And um, it just got a bit out of control. And they said, all right, we have to lock down again. So we've got two weeks left of this. And then hopefully after. Um, so we lost you there for a second, Sam. Sorry, my. Yeah. 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 No. No. You good? Yeah. You good? I don't know why the headphones cut out. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 But um, yeah. So we're locked down at the moment um for at least another two weeks. So after that, yeah, we'll be back into it hopefully. But look, at the moment, to be honest, it's been a terrible year for business. Yeah. Um, there's no weddings. Like probably eighty percent of my work was weddings. Um. And now there's, they're all basically, um, I, I wouldn't say cancelled, but postponed. Mm. So people like myself, wedding photographers, makeup artists, been hit pretty hard with their businesses, Yeah. given that we're not actually allowed to go to work. Um, and also the weddings aren't taking place. Um, so, you know, luckily I have a few real estate agent clients who don't live in Melbourne. They live out in the country. Mm-hmm. And I have all their details and measurements and they've been getting a few suits here and there. Um, but I'm really stinging to get it back to the moment when, you know, hopefully they find a vaccine and yeah. we can get back to work. And at that point, the businesses that did survive will be able to take on all that work that hopefully comes at once. Mm. You know, hopefully sooner rather than later, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Are you guys locked down at all or not? Not at all. No, not really. Yeah, pretty much back to life. Uh, It's been a while now. Wow. Yeah, we can travel domestically. Uh, No international travel yet, but can go around domestically. I'm surprised Melbourne is is that hard. And like, I mean, the second wave. Shit. Yeah, it was a second wave that was sort of um, that broke out pretty hard, and they were they were having a lot of cases. I don't think it's anything compared to other cities on a um, global scale, like in Brazil or in South Africa and places where they're having America. thousands and thousands a day. India, etc. Yeah. Um, it's just that um, you know it's, it's a very political issue at the moment as well because the government's basically like our civil liberties and freedoms are being questioned Mm. because the moment that you say you can't work, you can't go to the city, you'll be fined $2,000 if you take an appointment with a client and do a fitting in the city right now. Um, You know, it's something that you don't just go, oh, sure, without questioning. It's extremely strict and, uh, and, questionable to do that because so many people consider coronavirus COVID in the cost of lives but the cost of businesses is going to be something which we see over the next six months so basically with me I'm just trying to not spend too much money keep my head down and then at the end of all this hopefully take on all that wedding work that comes at once and get a better studio because rents will be cheaper and and hopefully continue. But it has been a very, very difficult year, uh, as I'm sure it has, uh, you know, many All around, man. 
Well, in the meantime, yeah. where can people find out more about your work and your tailor shop online? Yeah, sure. It's uh, samueldiamondtailors.com and uh, samueldiamondtailors on Instagram, basically. Fantastic. Facebook and uh, all those places. So. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. So Thank you, you know, so much. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us, man. We appreciate it. Great, great answers, man. Really, yeah. really good Thank show. Thank you, Jay. Thank Way you, better man. than Jay led me guys. to believe you would be. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. You know he's a cunt, so don't forget that. <laughs> he, is he is a cunt. It's an honor. It's an honor to be a cunt, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Jay, you're supposed to say, <laughs> I am what I eat. You're, you're, ah, you are, you're you stole my joke. Again, Dana. <laughs> That's well, my life. Tim, thank you so much, man. Have a great rest thank of you. your day. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you guys. Thank Bye. you. Great Ooh. interview, Jay. What do you think? Yeah, I I really liked a lot of his answers. I mean, I've all, like I've I've known him as a friend, mm. so uh, never had like serious sartorial talk with him. Yeah, like I would always goof around as usual uh, with with people. But uh, today, yeah, but very. I have a lot of respect for the guy. He actually knows a lot. And uh, a lot of the 10 questions were very unique answers. And yeah, uh, he, they were he's very. He's definitely, it's unique to hear his perspective, especially like with his thoughts on like the masculinity, like the sort of mm -hmm. culture in Australia and what yeah. he's doing being a little bit different and helping people step outside that, that space. Yeah, and it was really great to like talk to another. Like now that I'm opening a shop, yeah. uh, to get to talk to somebody about how do you sell to mm -hmm. regular people the the sartorial elements. Regular the people, <laughs> the, the normies, yeah. the normies, <laughs> the humans. How do you explain to them the how do you sell to peasants? Yeah, the peasants exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Again, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon podcast now as well, iHeartRadio, and of course, the YouTube channel, Dapper Villains. And you can find us on all social media at Dapper Villains everywhere. Until next time, stay dapper. Stay dapper. Stay villainous. Stay villainous.